Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel Wu, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest, I'm absolutely thrilled to say, is Jim Barnett. Jim Barnett is the legendary announcer of the Golden State Warriors. He's been their color analyst for 27 years, and that comes on top of an 11-year playing career. And this podcast talks about both those things. We start with the Warriors, and we talk about their place in history and what makes them special. And then we go on to Jim's playing career, which for me, is a really incredible window into the league. And as somebody who's been around the NBA for such a long time, his perspective on all of this is just invaluable. And I'm, I'm lucky enough that I get to have these personal conversations with him as well. But to be able to put it on the podcast, I think I'm beyond thrilled with what that is going to be. The conversation runs about 50 minutes, and I hope you love it. It was one of my greatest thrills as a podcaster to record it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm glad to be with you, Danny. I feel like we have to start with the Warriors. This is a team that you've broadcasted for such a long time, and of course you've been in the, involved in the league for much longer. Is there anything that you can tie this team to historically, or are they just kind of separate from the rest of the NBA? I think they're an outlier. <laughs> you know, they're Unlike any team I've ever seen, a very different group of individuals. And if you take a lot of these, to me, if you take a lot of these players individually and put them on other teams, you wouldn't even recognize them. It's just somehow everything works together, bringing these people together and somehow the way that they work in tandem and in sync with each other. It's amazing to me because obviously you could take Stephen Curry and put him on a team and he could be their leading scorer. And you could take Clay Thompson and put him on a good team. And he'd be, if you want to make him the featured player, he could handle all of that. Not quite like Stephen Curry would and, and could. But then you take other players, you know, I mean, Harrison Barnes, if you took Harrison Barnes and put him on another team and he didn't have Curry and Clay Thompson, I think you'd see a very different Harrison Barnes. And it would be up to him whether he is going to emerge and, and grow his game 
or he's just going to be one of the pack. But I think the leaders of this team, Stephen Curry, obviously their number one leader, and another leader when you're talking about coaching, Steve Kerr and his staff, they just bring out the best in everybody, and they and they put people in a in a place to succeed, and they put them in places where they can use their strengths. And actually, so they're not so their weaknesses are not as, not as exposed because yeah, everybody has weaknesses, you know. I think that's a great point. And one of the ways that I've thought about this team is just in terms of how their how their strengths fit together to amplify. With you think about the way that a Draymond Green, Stephen Curry pick and roll works, and that the fact that yeah, of course they're incredible individual talents, but Clay Thompson being away from that and drawing defensive attention is part of what makes that work so well. Certainly. And a great example is Draymond Green and what he does. He would always be a workhorse on another team, but how would he be if they did if another team did not have a Stephen Curry and you didn't have to double team? Is he going to be a go-to guy and do? Is he going to be getting those triple doubles and doing everything and all those assists that he's been getting? No, certainly not. So that's exactly what I was kind of inferring before. They say, you know, I think the best teams, Danny, and there are there have been you know I played on one with the Boston Celtics. A team that is not coached by a coach, but a team that is coached by the players. In other words, a player-coached team. And I believe this this unit that uh, right now we're seeing at 48-4 at the All-Star break, they are a player-coached team. In other words, they're self-motivated. They do everything a lot on their own. They have so much pride, and they know how to react to situations. Sometimes, and you've seen them in, in the first part of the year, you know, they'll lose a lead or they'll be, be behind a little bit. Not often, but they know when to turn it on and they're self-motivated. So they're kind of self-coached. And a lot of teams, most teams are not like that. Most people are trying to scramble and look for their stats and do all kinds of things and playing as individuals. And this team just, it's selfless and everything. And they just, they know the formula. And I just think that, you know, they've got a general behind them and, and Steve Kerr, but, but the general lets them, gives them a lot of freedom because they, they can live up to the responsibility of that. They're, they hold themselves accountable and they're responsible and they, their maturity gets them through the tough times. What stands out to me in terms of that I think you hit on a really important point is not only do they have a lot of intelligent players, which is insanely important, but they also have guys that have really good instincts. When I watch the Warriors, you see sometimes when the play falls apart that they when they're, their first kind of their first gasp at what to do in that situation <laughs> is almost always the right one. Yes, I, I agree. And they also get back to fundamentals and back to basics. And part of that is just their defense because it does their defense. They're, they're best with their offense and they're a great offensive team, but they're best when they create a turnover. They get a block shot. They get a stop, get a rebound and get it out. If you had to stop play and you had to play a game this way and say, okay, the opposition missed a shot. Okay. Everybody stop opposition. You get back on defense. Okay. Now, now it's your turn. Here's the ball. If they're relegated to a pace like that and a half-court situation, they would not be 48-4. and four. It would be a, a tougher go. But they're one of the best teams I've ever seen in getting out on a break and stretching out the defense, getting the defense confused. On one side of the court, it's one man defending two, and both of them are great shooters. Then all of a sudden, they leave the rim open. They just open up their opportunities. It reminds me of... The, of the Celtics when they were in that golden era. They, they used to run people off the court. This is way back in the 60s. And then, of course, it reminds me of the Lakers in the 80s with uh, their showtime when you had James Worthy on the on the wing running with Magic Johnson and, uh, you know, defense by Michael Cooper and, and Kareem and everybody else in there. And they, 
they just would all of a sudden go on one of those 12 to 2, 14 to 2 runs and burst the game open. And all of a sudden it was, it was their game and their game to keep and, and they never relinquished it. That defensive ability is also what makes this team really hard to come back on. The the streak that of winning games when they're up 15 has been well publicized. It's it's at a crazy high number right now. But when you play defense the way they do and when you have the offensive capabilities, when a team like the Warriors goes on that run, there are very few teams that have the confidence to say, "Oh, we can get back in this." I agree. But you know, that's where you know, they've got a center who doesn't <laughs> score a lot, and Andrew Bogut, but he knows how to defend the lane and they've given him that freedom to, to play his game. There's no, you know, he'd be on another team and they would say, well, gee, you're not scoring for us. And he wouldn't get the minutes that he gets with the Warriors. And they, Steve Kerr is, is a very, very astute master of the game. And he is that this, it goes back to knowing what strengths a person has, knowing how to communicate with them, to get, inside their head, knowing what to get the best out of them. And Andrew Bogut, and, and unfortunately, Festus Azealia, who's you know hurt right now and coming off uh, surgery with that knee, is going to be out at least six weeks. He knows they have great defensive strengths. And so he, he says, that, that's what we want you to do. Don't worry about anything else. And they're really, the Warriors do go small once in a while, but they're not going to win. And, and have a record of 48 and four if you didn't have Andrew Bogut on the team and Festus Azili in the first half of the season. If you took those people away, they wouldn't have a 48 and four record. They, at the right time, make the right plays at the defensive end that gets everybody going in the offense at the other end. And so that really is the catalyst there. It's, as I say, it's just kind of a unique little formula. What I'm fascinated with with that, you talked about the idea of getting the most out of it is. It'll change a little bit with what's happening with Azili now with his injury, but what I'd seen with Festus is that he was growing into what they've been looking at with Bogut, which is your primary job is defense, but you know if you can get your offensive game to the point, we'll utilize it. And Bogut's passing has become a part of the Warriors' offense, and you know Azili can't do that right now. But I like that Kerr has had this mentality of, we have special talent, we need to get the most out of them, because... Really, when you want to reach that top level of the NBA, in my opinion, that's what you have to do because the best teams yeah. have to utilize what makes them special. You know, I was going to say something about Festus, and I'm not looking at the stats, but I did recently. He's averaging seven and a half points a game in about 18 minutes, 17 and a half to 18 minutes, which I think is pretty remarkable for someone you know who had a couple few years ago no offensive game whatsoever. But he's come a long way, and so I'm wondering where his, you know, where his top is. You know, he doesn't have, you know, the, the greatest hands in the world, but he's working at that all the time. And the game is, is still new to him and all the little nuances and, and anticipating and so forth like that. But what you're talking about getting the most out of somebody, they, right now, I mean, and you saw in the playoffs last year in the finals, <clears throat> he is a force defensively, but it's going to be a nice little plus if he can get a little bit of offense going midway through his career as he, as he grows into that position. But, I don't know. I don't know all the all the things. It's just it's pretty magical. It's hard to believe. You look at that record, and, I, and some of it goes through my mind, and I'm saying, okay, are they really this 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 good? You know, the record indicates so. But is, is the league that bad that they can just roll over some people? And sometimes you make your own luck. Steve Kerr referred last night, and and I think his pregame talk about sometimes you have to be a little lucky, and they were fortunate they didn't lose some games early on, like to Brooklyn when um, Lopez missed that little two-foot shot at the end of the game that would have won the game. 
instead of goes into overtime and the Warriors win there. So, you know, they've had a, a few little breaks that way. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. You might say people are lucky all the time. And the people who have that kind of outlook on life make their own luck. And it seems like good things happen to them. And so far, good things have happened to the Warriors. You know, I don't want to be a pessimist. I'm, I'm thinking, okay, now what's going to happen the second part of the season here? I think they have 30 games left, exactly 30. And a lot of them are at home. All these, and I'm thinking, okay, they've got this great home record. I sure as hell hope they don't fall apart and all of a sudden start losing at home some crazy, obtuse way. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I mean, I hope they can continue like this. I, it would be unbelievable if they could finish a season, you know, with 75 and 75 and 7 or something like that. It'd be remarkable. There are a couple things that are amazing about them as a regular season team. One is that they're so different from a lot of other teams just in terms of how you have to defend them and everything that you can't really prepare. You know, no other team has right. a Stephen Curry to say, oh, well, this is how we're going to defend him. And what something that was a key attribute of those Bulls teams is you have to want it every night. And what I what I think about with that is that this Warriors team still hasn't lost to a really good team. They haven't played they haven't played a ton of games against, you know, the Cavs. They played the Cavs twice, Spurs once, right. Thunder once, right. but they won all those games. And the losses they yep. have are usually when a guy is out and if you were to think about a way that a team would would go after these crazy numbers, it's having a lot of talent that largely stays pretty healthy, which is another big part of this, and that yes, that can bring themselves up for those big games because if you're giving yourself that buffer, you know everybody's going to lose a few, like that game against Detroit. You know everybody's going to have some of those. It's amazing how few of those they've had. Yes, and and I do agree that they they know the games that are important and they put that you know an indelible ink on their brain. They, they recognize what they have to do and how they're going to be measured and tested and talked about by whom they're facing. So, you know, it, it started when they lost in Detroit there, and all of a sudden they go play Cleveland, beat them by 30 in Chicago the same way. So they may have trouble getting up for a game. You know, even like, like Phoenix last night, I think what helped them, it was the last game before the All-Star break. They knew it was kind of a, a little catch game for them. They were not going to – they came out with this incredible energy – first part of the game phoenix stayed with them but they just kept putting the pressure on them and phoenix with their you know lack of talent the warriors without obviously three of their four top scorers were out uh with injuries etc they wore them down and they broke their spirit and they do that with a lot of teams they, they break the spirit of a lot of teams and and, that, and through history you've seen you know whether it be the celtics the lakers and, you know the celtics and lakers teams in the 80s the celtics teams you know back in the in the 60s, the one that I played for, you could just see the opponent waiting for everything to crash in on them, almost expecting it to. And I think that's the way the Warriors are right now. And opposing teams just realize that um, th this team is really special, and particularly when they just start bombing from three-point range, which people are always asking me, how do you beat the Warriors? How can you beat them? And, you know, you, all is said and done. You know, you're not going to stop somebody from, you know, scoring at all. You're going to try to limit them or whatever. You can talk about the defense and the strategy. And you can talk about the pace. But I think the one one absolute thing about the Warriors, and in order to beat them, you've got to have a great three-point shooting night. It helps if you have a great three-point shooting team. But, you know, they make about 13 threes a night, and then they defend the three better than anybody else. So, if, if you're coming into a game, and on average, you're going to make 13, and your opponents are going to make seven. Let's just say seven. Well, that's six 
three points difference there. That's 18 points right there that, that a team has to make up somewhere, somewhere along the way. And let's say they make another couple of twos in there rather than threes, but they're still double digit ahead just from three-point shooting. So I, I think there's one simple formula, and it's just simple right there in black and white. You have to catch the Warriors on an off night and hope that you're hitting threes yourself because they won the game, I'm trying to think, I guess it's Oklahoma City. They won the game with Steph and Clay going 2 of 14 from three-point range. They didn't shoot well at all from three-point range, but they still won the game against an elite team with two elite players. Yeah, and Durant um, played really well in that game, too. It wasn't like Durant had a bad game. They just they just didn't have enough. 40. I'm not looking at Seth. I just remember he had 40, and I think Westbrook had 26. But it's really interesting because at the end of the game, Westbrook took a couple of shots, made a couple of plays where those are the vital little t- times. It's, it's, it's real subtle, but I remember one shot kind of from a little bit from the elbow. He kind of squibbed it in between the backboard and the rim. And it, to me, to me, that was one of the biggest shots of the game. He missed it. But the timing of it all, the way it transpired, the, where the shot clock was, where the game clock was, what the score was, it's a shot that he, if he takes it, he's got to make it to help change the game. And if he missed it, to me, that right there, I knew the Warriors were going to win. I can't even remember. Maybe there were three minutes left in the game even. Three minutes left in the game. But that shot right there, it just somehow – to me, it broke the spirit of, of Oklahoma City, and it also gave the Warriors the confidence. And, Danny, it's hard to say that and to understand it, but just being in the league this long and being as a player, there's something psychological during certain moments of the game. And to me, that was a psychological boost for the Warriors, getting that stop and, and having Westbrook take a shot at a certain time in the shot clock and everything and miss it in the part of the game. It, it's a funny little thing, but it was a big shot. And it's just like sometimes a great player, he'll make great plays for you, but he can also shoot you out of the game. Kind of that one shot was, to me, and I'd have to go back and look at all the play-by-play and stuff, but little things like that. And the Warriors, when they do that, they seem to make the shot. You know, when they need the shot, they seem to make it. Yeah, that's an amazing thing also about this team, and I think one of the biggest differences between the current iteration and, let's say, the Mark Jackson teams, though it's really just everything before now, is the idea that this team isn't satisfied with the same shots that they used to be okay with, and they know now that if they pass the ball, if they move well without the ball, that they can get better shots. And I think that's just a part of the evolution of this team, is that their expectations for their own offense are higher than they used to be. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, yes, they do. I, I, I agree with that 100%. Once you achieve success, you don't want to digress, and you don't want to stand still, because if you're not going forward, if you're just trying to maintain the status quo, you actually, there's a psychological thing, you go backwards. It's, it's almost, once you achieve something, you recognize greatness, if you will. It's easier to do that again, and you want more. And, and the winners want more. It's like there have been players in this league. And I'll use an example. A guy like Kenny Anderson, once he got his six-year, $86 million contract, he became very ordinary because... I don't know what it is about certain individuals. That would never happen to Stephen Curry. He just is not built that way. He would never just all of a sudden say, I've got it made now. I'm going to relax, and I'm going to put it on cruise control. And some people in this league, and you know it, Danny, have done that. And that's what separates the great ones from you know the people who could be great or who had success but yet can't continue it and can't improve upon that. Here's a little thing. Like, I remember when I was a kid, 
and I was 15 years old. And of course, today, 15 year olds can reverse dunk and do all kinds of things. But there were, it was kind of uncommon in those days for uh, people to dunk. I guess you could, you know, when you were 16 or 17 and you were a high school player. But I was on the B team, and we were halfway through the season, and I was 5'9, 124 pounds, and I couldn't uh, touch the rim. And so I kept working on that and everything like that. I loved basketball. But, you know, I was just an ordinary little kid. I was about six points a game on the B team in high school. And so one day I touched the rim with my finger. You know, nobody was around. So I told the coach I can touch the rim. So great coach that he was. He, he's going to give you a little um, little boost there. And he says, okay, Barnett can now touch the rim. And so I, they're watching. And so I get a little running start, like a high jumper and everything. And I go up and I touch the rim. Now. Once I realized there's a psychological thing that happened, because once I realized it, all of a sudden when I went up and did that, I touched it, and I was about an inch higher than I was when I barely touched it the first time. And then I said, well, let me do this again. And all of a sudden, I'm getting four fingers on the rim, almost to the palm of my hand, within two minutes. Wow. Of never touching the rim, never been able to touch the rim, and then all of a sudden, I'm jumping four inches higher than any previous time. And so it's interesting how the mind works and how psychologically and what it can do for you in a positive thing where you, you get this feedback to your brain that you're able to do something and we don't put a limitation on it. All of a sudden I was free. I was free to just let things go. And I, and I think that's the way Steph Curry plays. I mean, look at the shots that he takes because if they were an ordinary NBA player taking those shots, First of all, he'd be shooting probably 15 to 20% from three-point range on the shots that Steph takes. And you'd say, what the hell is he doing? He's taking bad shots all the time. But for Steph and Curry, maybe three years ago, those would be bad shots. Maybe three years ago, they would be. But in the year 2015-16 season, they're not bad shots. He's capable of doing it because he's taken it to a whole nother level. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And you think of the way when, when we both watched him practice and warm up and he works on all these things, all the crazy shots, even I think he deserves a lot of credit also for what, how he's improved his game in the lane. His layups have gotten so much better, oh, but you, 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 you get that through it's work. The same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's, it's through work. It's through experience. Okay. And experience of, of trying things and then finding success. And then it becomes natural, normal, and easier for you. You know, Danny, as I said, I don't want this directed towards me, but I remember in college when I went to Oregon, and I did I had no idea things that I could do. I did things in games all of a sudden, improvising, if you will, that I'd never even I did. You couldn't even practice them. I couldn't even practice these little crazy layups, reverse layups, throwing over my shoulder, and all of a sudden they'd go in. I say, "Gee, how did I do that?" And I realized when I was doing it, kind of Monte Ellis used to do some of this too. I gave everything that I had and I couldn't even stand on the floor because I was in such a position, almost horizontal sometimes when I let the ball go that in order to get it off and not get it blocked, but I would, the ball would go in and I would fall to the floor and roll and then jump back up again. And a lot of my driving layups, I would, would, you know, give everything out and I could, I wasn't straight up and down and perpendicular to the floor. So what, what happened is it became easier for me to make those shots. But what I found out, Danny, is I made these crazy shots inside. I could, I'm going to tell you right now, I could drive on anybody. And, and like 
Pat Riley used to tell me, he said, Jim, no one drives on wilt. No, no one in the league drives on wilt like you do. And because somehow I found a little niche there. And Steph Curry, that we're talking about him, he has found that and he makes it look easy. And believe me, Danny, it ain't easy. It's not easy. But once you acquire that talent and, and the, the experience and seeing the ball go in the basket and seeing how you, differently you can put it up on the, on the board at a different angle with a different spin. You know, I was very, very good at that too. And, and of course, I never had a left hand. He's got an incredible left. I had no left whatsoever. So mine had to be more of a gyroscope too. But he's, he's really talented that way. And, and now he does it with regularity. That's what I'm talking about. He's, he's tasted success. He's got memory. He's got memory, muscle memory, if you will, brain and muscle memory on the stuff that he does. And so he does things that other people aren't capable of doing because he's mastered that. He's gone to another zone. And one of the things you hear from a lot of different guys on the team, I've talked about it with Curry, with Azili, with Draymond Green, is that they all feel that they can get better, that there's so much to basketball that you can learn and improve on that through repetition, through experience. And to me, that's exactly the attitude that you have to have when you're at this high of a level is that you can always get better. You know, maybe certain parts of it yep. will, 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 you know, if you get a little bit slower, that'll get hurt, but you can always learn new things. Absolutely. And we're just talking about it in this team is doing that, and Stefan did it, has done it individually. I think, look, I think Clay, look at Clay and how many free throws he's getting now and how he's going to the basket, how he's learning how to get a first step and beat his man on the first step and on the first dribble, which he wasn't capable of doing. He used to, when he first was here, he was kind of a catch-and-shoot player. So he's expanding his game, and we talked about Azili because I looked at those points, and I'm thinking, gee, that's not bad when you can score seven, you know, and when you can score a point, for every two, two and a half minutes, that's not bad at all. Because when he first came to the league, he was a guy who was capable of scoring a point like, you know, probably every eight minutes, every eight minutes or something like that. And so you, you do. And you have, and when you, as I said, if you're, these guys are the champions and you cannot rest on your laurels because if you start doing that, then people are going to catch you and pass you by. Do you have an opinion on what the best kind of five man group this team can put out there is? Yes, I do. The best five-man group that they have is a starting five when they start a game. But then that changes within the game. And at certain times, the best group they have is when they go with Draymond Green at the center, Harrison Barnes, Iguodala, Clay, and Stefan. And that's, Bob Fitzgerald calls it the death squad or whatever. But when they go small like that at certain times, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of feel and a matter of a matter of feel more than matchups, I think, for Steve Curry. You'd have to ask him that. But that group, when they do that, I've always felt that small ball, when we used to play practice games or whatever, we'd put sometimes in practice the little men against the big men. And to me, if I remember correct, the little men always won. We always won whenever I did that and whenever I played in those situations. So I, I like that small lineup. I, I think that is over – if you had to go – if you had to go 48 minutes – if you had to go 48 minutes in a game, probably that small lineup could win 60 games in the NBA season. Yeah, I agree with you. So I wanted to talk a little bit about your playing career. And for me, the place to start with this, just because for as somebody who was never nearly as good at basketball, you were drafted by Red Auerbach. How amazing is that? Well, I'll tell you, it was, it was interesting because I never had any communication with him whatsoever. It kind of came out of the blue. I remember as a junior, I believe, playing in, at USC, playing in the sports arena, and I, he was in the stands watching me, but I don't think it was 
I don't think he did it as a senior, but I remember him doing that as a junior. Maybe they were playing down there and playing the, the Lakers in the, we used to play in the sports arena, so maybe they had a game there later on or something, but happened to be there. I had an inquiry from the St. Louis Hawks, and Richie Guerin was their coach, and I actually flew back to St. Louis. They were the St. Louis Hawks then, and had a little look-see. I remember playing with Bill Bridges in some kind of three-on-three game, and he was giving me all these things. And they had the fourth overall pick in the draft, and they uh, eventually got Lou Hudson. They didn't. They weren't sure that Lou Hudson would be available. And let me tell you, he was a hell of a lot better draft pick at number four than I would have been at number four. <laughs> Believe me, sweet Lou Hudson could really shoot the basketball. So I, what I did is, in those days, they had the East-West College All-Star Game. It was in Lexington, Kentucky. And I was on the West squad, and we played an East squad with Cassie Russell and Dave Bing. And I started. And Dave Bing was guarding me, who was, you know, quicker than hell and everything. And I had a really good game. I, I think I was the leading scorer with, for the West squad. We lost the game, but I had 19. And, you know, I played about half the game probably. But I remember I beat Dave Bing on a couple of drives. And I, and I, I think what that did is it elevated me from a second-round draft pick. There were only 10 teams in the league then, Danny. There were actually nine. But my rookie year, they added Chicago. That was the Bulls franchise. And that was their first year in 1966. There had been 19. So there were 10 teams when I came in. And so I think that uh, I was probably going to be, I figured I was going to be like a second-round draft pick somewhere. And I think that game elevated me to a first-round pick. And also, maybe our back was going to try to steal me in the second round, if you will. I use that term loosely. But And so all of a sudden, because of that game, he felt with the eighth pick, he had to take me. I, that's, I've never asked him about that. I never did ask him about that. But... At any rate, I, I was very flattered that the Boston Celtics, who had won eight straight championships, chose me to be their first-round draft pick. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty special. And you got to do something which isn't allowed in the league anymore, which is play for a player coach. Do you think that that's something that the league should bring back if they can figure out a way to make it work? I think you'd have to be a special team in order to make that work, and you have to have a special player coach. That team, a team that won eight straight championships, how much coaching did they need? They just need a little motive. They, they got motivation from Bill Russell anyway on the court, even when Red Auerbach was coaching the team, because that's the kind of leader he was. So it was a natural fit for Bill. And if you really went and looked at coaching and coaching techniques, and if you could be a fly on the wall the entire year, and if you had the parameters that you have today in viewing and judging and all the attention given to sports and all the writers and all the media areas and all the magazines and all the blogs and you watched bill russell coach the 1966-67 boston celtics who won 61 games of the team that i was on you would say he's not even coaching he's a lousy coach he what's he doesn't do anything he doesn't you know all he says is okay guys you got to get it going or, or whatever because it was a whole different thing and you talk about this is what i'm saying having a player coach team they motivate themselves. They had a standard. Now, we lost to that great Philadelphia team that year with Wilt, and they were 68 and 13. They were an awesome team, and all of a sudden, it all came together for them. But here's how Bill Russell coached, Danny. We practiced at the Cambridge YMCA. Bill Russell would maybe put, in, put on his practice gear one out of ten times. He would normally sit in street clothes and have little men play big men in a scrimmage for about 45 minutes or a half hour. He might say, go over a couple of plays or something, stand up, 
and then he'd have a scrimmage just to get us moving around. And he sat on the sideline reading the paper and drinking a cup of coffee, laughing at us playing four-on-four or five-on-five or whatever the hell it was that day, okay? And our pregame talks were non-existent. And I'm laughing when I say this because it's just beautiful. They were non-existent and, and they were funny. And I remember he would do this once in a while, and I, this is verbatim. I remember exactly where we were. Bill Russell had a, had a deal. He'd have a security guard come in 20 minutes before game time. In those days, no one shot ahead at the time. You got dressed just about the right time, and you get, went out on the court, and for 20 minutes you warmed up before the game time. And so I remember we were in this arena, and we played. We, you know, we played, the schedule was much more demanding. And you would play you know, four nights in a row and things like that. And, and travel was tough and you're, you're playing, you're traveling commercially and sometimes sitting in airports because you're fogged in or you're snowed in or whatever. And sometimes you get to an arena or get to a city where you have to go to the arena without going to the hotel first. So anyway, and, and so sometimes you wake up. I always, and to this day, I memorize the room. I memorize how to get out of bed, where the, where everything is, the obstacles and where the bathroom is and everything like that. So that in the middle of the night, you don't stub your toe and everything. So, but you sometimes wake up and you say, where am I? And I'm trying to, and you can't remember what city you're in. So the security guy came in and said, Mr. Russell, 20 minutes before game time. He said, okay, thank you. And he looks around. He said, uh, who are we playing tonight? Baltimore? No, that's not it. Chicago? No, that's not it. Detroit. We're playing Detroit. We're playing the Pistons. Let's go out there and get this shit over with. <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, man. That's, and that's the gospel truth verbatim, and that was our pregame talk. Well, and that's the, the okay. value of a system. You guys knew what to do. That's right. They had a system, and they knew what to do. And once in a while, you know, they had the great Sam Jones, who at that time was either 34 to 36, depending on how he lied about his age. But he'd been, here's a guy that had averaged, you know, 24 times, 28 points a game. This guy could shoot. I saw him get 51 in the old Madison Square Garden. So that, when I played for the Celtics, they had the old garden. They didn't have the new one until 69, I believe. 68, 69, right in there. And, yeah, it might have been 68. So Sam Jones got 51. Okay, this guy could shoot. And so, and no three-point line. Think about that. 6'4 guard. Sam could really run. So the, the only time that I would ever hear Russell say anything a little bit negative or whatever, but he, to get the message because they, they were self-motivated and they had the system. I remember one time at halftime, I think we were playing Philadelphia, and he said, and those say, by the way, there were 10 teams, so you played everybody nine times. That was the last time we ever had an 81-game NBA schedule. That was 66, 67, we played 81 games. We were, uh, the Warriors, the, uh, the Celtics were 61 and 20 that year. The 76ers were 68 and 13. So anyway, we came in at halftime and Russell said, uh, Sam, you're not running. And Sam said, and they're, they're really good friends. I mean, they've been playing together for 12 years at that time. I think. So he said, I'm running. He said, Sam, you're not running. He said, Russell, I'm running. He said, Sam, I know when you run and I know what it looks like when you run, you're not running. And Sam shut up. And then I'll tell you what, he ran the second half. He, so, so there was a little bit of coaching there, a little bit of motivation to, through two great friends, two great top 50 players of all time, as Sam was. What's all just Ali had to do was say things like that. They didn't they didn't do too much strategy. They, they he would say something like, okay, you know when that the, the kangaroo kid out of North Carolina, what's his name, Billy Cunningham, he used to be, he coached the Sixers in '83 in the championship. He said, and he was their sixth man. He said, okay, we got to do something about 
Cunningham, when he goes from that weak side, comes to the free throw line. So we've got to deny that pass that we're letting him get the pass too easy. So he would say, you know, Bailey, you've got to, you've got to step up into the lane there. You can't let him catch the ball there because he likes that spot. Something like that. Uh, and that's all. You would say that. And, and you might say that at halftime and, and maybe you never have to say it the rest of the game. You know, it just was, uh, you go out and played and he was very astute and he, and he knew, knew how to bring it all together. Anyway. Well, I, I doubt I'll ever have a better person to ask this question, so, uh, so I'll ask it of you now. How do you think that the players, let's say the Wilts and the Russells of that time period, how do you think if you transported them to now, let's, you can say whether they get yep. the training and all that, how you think they would fare? The greats of any era would be great in any era. The greats of the 60s would be the greats of today. Jerry West would kill just like Steph Curry does. Wilt Chamberlain would dominate like, well, I mean, Andrew Bogut can make Dwight Howard look ridiculous uh, because he's the most overrated player in the league, Dwight Howard is. Wilt Chamberlain would dominate this league like he would kill every big player in this league because he was so strong, so athletic. Russell would block more shots. They were great athletes, and they would – and I don't know about the training or anything else. I'm not sure you'd even have to – I think you could almost transport them in a time machine and I think they would adjust with it in about two minutes out there on the floor. They'd say, gee, I better jump a little higher. I better jump a little quicker. Oh, well, I, you know, these guys get to the rim a lot quicker, so I've got to move a little quicker, and they'd be able to do it. And I think over time, young Wilt as an athlete is someone who's kind, kind of, it's been lost a little bit because he played such a long time, and he was so great when he was a little bit older. But young Wilt was an athlete that I don't, I'm not sure people can really, can really convey that. I've only seen small videos, and it's unbelievable. Yes, it is. It, he was the most dominant player in the history of the league. That includes LeBron and everybody else. He was the most dominant. I didn't say he was the best, but he was the most dominant, particularly when he wanted to be, because he coasted a lot. Um, Elgin Bader told me a story when, uh, when they first got Wilt, and he came to the Lakers, and somebody, you don't ever want to get Wilt mad, okay? And somebody got uh, Wilt pissed off. And I'll tell you a story about myself one time, what happened. But anyway, he said, the other team didn't score for six minutes. He's blocking everything. He said he must have blocked eight shots. You know, come, going out on guards and getting them blocking everybody inside. He said he wouldn't let him, he wouldn't let him get the ball in the basket. They didn't keep blocked shots. You know, in that era. But he he just dominated in that and would do that. I remember one time I went and took a foul on him. I was down in the uh, God. You're, you're asking me all these things. I don't really don't think about things very much. It's hard <laughs> to, to remember all the stuff. But anyway, I was in the forum. And I went to grab him, and I poked him in the eye. And I was always a little pest anyway, and, and Wilt knew that. And I like to have fun. One time in Portland, I, he went down for a dunk, and I jumped on his back. And I just for the hell of it, I, Danny, I went up and I rode him piggyback, just for the hell of it. And, and it was everybody laughed. And, and he didn't really like that. So anyway, this time I poked him in the eye. Well, uh, he kept looking at me. At the free, he's going to shoot the free throws. And he kept, and I'm on the lane, and he, he, he bounced the ball, and he'd look at me, you know, and he bounced the ball, and he'd look at me. All right, so now I took another foul, I don't know, another next quarter or something, and damned if I didn't poke him in the face, and now he's really pissed off. And this is the only time he ever did this. I went then for a reverse layup sometime in that quarter, and he went up like he was going to block the shot, but he went up to hit me with his body into my body. And as he did, I remember it was like all of a sudden getting hit 
or, or like me running full speed into an oak tree. And it took, I went, boom, it took the wind out of me. Now, he hit me. We were both upright, but it sent me flying. And I landed on my keister and slid clear out to the sideline, you know, and I got two free throws. Now, he didn't low bridge me or any kind of stuff like that. He just, we were both straight up in the air as I'm going for that little reverse. And he hit me so hard. I mean, the wind was knocked out of me, and I got the message. He was sending me a message. And he wasn't going to hurt me. It was, you know, uh, which he could do, by the way, if he wanted to. And I'll tell you another story on that. Anyway, so I, I, I got him pissed off. And one other time with the Warriors, and it was at the, at the arena here, I was having a good game. And so I went down, and I beat Gail Goody, I think, I think it was, and I got into the lane, and there was Will. And I was on the left side, so I used my, my right hand to reverse, and my back was kind of to the basket a little bit. But I'm pump faking, and he's not going for it. And I remember Mindy Rudolph, the lead official, was right out of bounds right there. Everything kind of slows down in slow motion, you know. So I went, one, two, three, pump, and Will is right there. But I noticed that his arms – as big as they were, I could put the ball between his arms, but he had the basket covered, and I would have to really spin it for about two to three feet. I mean, if I spun it and, and make it go, you know, tear him off the backboard. So I, I, I was going to get called for three seconds. I knew that was coming. There was nowhere to throw the ball to. So I pump fake, and then I released the ball, never leaving the ground. And he never left the ground. And I, I just released it between his two arms and spun, and it hit the backboard, hit the side of the rim, but it had so much spin on it, it bounced around and went in. And it was an incredible shot. And, and I kicked my fist and went, yeah, or something like that. The worst thing I ever did, because the rest of the game, and I'm not kidding you, I was a driver. I would drive the lane. Normally, where I would get the shot off, Wilt was there and blocked it, and he did it again. And he did it again, and he did it again. And about the fourth time he did it, I said, the hell with this, I can't go in there anymore. Because he wanted to block my shots. At other times, he would just get, maybe they were winning the game by 20, who knows, he'd kind of let you go, because Wilt would do that. He would just kind of float through certain times. I remember when I was a San Diego Rocket, and Dave Gamby, was, it was an expansion team, and it was the first year, 67, 68. And I remember we went back to Philadelphia, and Dave had been on the previous team, the championship 1967 Philly team with Will. So Dave is on our team. Dave gets a rebound underneath, goes up, scores. Will's right there. I'm thinking, okay, didn't, didn't block it. Dave gets a rebound, goes up and scores inside. So now I'm in the game, and Gamby's in the game too. And so I go up, and Will blocks the ball out of bounds. Okay, and we got the ball back. And we throw around or whatever. And a couple minutes later, I'm driving and he gets the, you know, I go in and he blocks the ball. He goes out of bounds again. And I'm taking the ball out of bounds. So Will's right there. Gamby's right there. And I say, hey, Will, how come you block all of my shots, but you don't block any of Gamby's shots? <laughs> and it's, what's funny about it is Gamby says, Jim, shut up. <laughs> and Will was letting Gamby score because he was a former teammate. He was just being nice. And I mean, and that's the way sometimes the game was played with Wilt because he could do anything he wanted to do. That's just incredible. And and yeah, and and the the way that he kind of saw things is 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 ama- amazing because you think about that he was so dominant, and yet if he you know if he really wanted to key in more, he could he could kick it to another level. Yes, he could. Yes, he could. And so I, it would be fun. You know, I talked to a young kid last summer. Uh, back in Tennessee when I was there visiting my friend Clyde Lee. And 
he's talking about the players. He said, well, Jerry West would be kind of average today, wouldn't he? Because the players are so much, you know, the kind of question you asked me. And I'm going, oh, no way. I mean, the great players are going to be great. And he said, well, you know, I, I think like Wilt, he'd be kind of like Tyson Chandler. And I said, okay, this discussion is over. You've lost all of your credibility. <laughs> kind of like Tyson Chandler. If Tyson Chandler could ever you'd take let, – let's do it the other way around. Put Tyson Chandler back in the Wilt Chamberlain days back in the 60s. Do you think he could average 50 points a game? Gee, Merry Christmas. Do you have a single player, let's say, in your broadcasting career that's been your favorite to watch? Oh, goodness. These are, these are things I really never think about. <laughs> My favorite player – to watch in my broadcasting career. It could be your playing career too, but I just think it's probably easy, it's probably clearer for your broadcasting days. Probably clearer for my playing days. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know that man, boy, I, there's just too many of them. You know, I mean, I I loved watching Havlicek play. You know, I loved I loved watching, but I loved defending Jerry West. And Jerry West might hit five straight shots on me, but each time him coming down the floor, I thought I would stop him, including the sixth one after the fifth one. I broadcasting I'd have to say oh man maybe Magic Johnson mm -hmm. maybe Magic Johnson obviously Jordan Jordan would be in there too but I don't have a I don't have a favorite I've got I can give you my 10 top players of all time excluding anyone who is still active day which means Kobe and LeBron I can give you my 10 to me greatest players of all time if you want to um, which yeah I, I think if you want to take I, I do it this way I go four guards and I defy anyone to take any other guard who's now inactive, not okay, and put them in place. I go with Jerry West and Oscar Robertson, and I go with Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson. Now, if you can tell me that you can put Isaiah before Oscar or Jerry or Magic or Michael, or you can take John Stockton and insert him, I don't think I've never heard anybody say, "Yeah, I, well, yeah, I guess I'd take Stockton over over West or Stockton over Magic." You know, so those are my guards, and then I, I got to take three centers, okay? And I take obviously Wilt, Russell, and Kareem. Now I've got if I took four, I would take Olajuwon because he's right there. But I've got to go with Wilt. And I've got to go with Russell, 11 championships in 13 years, never lost a game seven, never lost a game seven in a playoff series. Lost a game six and stuff, but never lost a game seven. And then i got to go with Kareem in 20 years and the all-time leading scorer in the league. So now I've got seven, so now I've got to get three more. So I'm just more partial to Elgin Baylor because he just, to me, was incredible with what he did and how he played the game. And, of course, I was a Southern California guy. And, you know, if you look him up one year, he averaged 38 and 19. Wow. He averaged like 38.2 and 18.9 rebounds or something like that one year. He averaged 38 and 19, and he was about 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> uh, he was Dr. J before Dr. J. And so, so I'm going to go with Elgin, and I'm going to go with Larry Bird. And so that makes nine. I'm going with Larry Bird because he, what he could do on a basketball floor is pretty amazing. You, know, I, you, you could take any other forward and say, oh, I don't know. I don't think you're going to get a better one than Larry Bird. I probably would take Larry Bird over Elgin Baylor even. Now, are you ready for this? For my 10th guy. Now, these guys all have to be retired. It's going to be, this was a very controversial one, but I believe the way he played the game, the things he did, 
on the floor in the of the game and, and the way he could shoot, the way he could score, the way he could make other players better, the way he could play defense, you know, leaving the league in steals. He's not very well liked, and that's Rick Barry. I can see that. Absolutely. I mean, he was an incredible player, and especially in his prime. Yes, he was. And let me tell you, he was someone that I couldn't even defend. He made me look like a junior high kid. And I could defend people. And I could defend Billy Cunningham and Chet Walker. I would go against bigger guys sometimes and do that, keep the ball away from them. Rick Berry would handle me just like I was a little junior high player. Unbelievable. He'd get me in foul trouble. I couldn't do it. I couldn't guard him. I couldn't guard him. Too quick, too strong, too good, too everything. So somebody might say, oh, Carl Malone. Well, he played 19 years, but Carl Malone could never do the things. He could never throw, pass and, uh, and assist or, or play defense like Rick Barry could or make free throws like Rick Barry could or make 28-foot shots like Rick Barry could, all that kind of stuff. And Rick was just one incredible player. I loved playing with him. I loved playing with Rick Barry because I got layups. Because I like to play like the Warriors play. I like to run with or you know, back door, go without the ball. I'd love to play with Andrew Bogut. My goodness, I would love to play with Andrew Bogut the way he loves to, for you to hit a cutter to the basket. My goodness. Uh, Rick Barry used to give me about two layups a game, not in, not in fast break situation, by me cutting back door, and he never missed you. He always saw you, always saw you, and he would lead you. And now he'd get pissed at you if he didn't catch the ball or if you stopped running, which I never did, but, you know, other players do or something. Make it. In fact, you know, a couple of years ago, Curry would do that with Bogut. He'd start to make a, cut, a back cut, and then he'd stop because he was popping back out, and Bogut would throw the ball out of bounds, and now they're on sync. That doesn't happen very often. See, that's something they, they've gotten better at. You want to talk about improving. And, and now everybody understands, but when you go back there with Bogut, keep going because he's going to lead you. He's going to make a bounce pass, and he's going to come right over your hands, and you're going to get a layup. And so Rick did that for me. So those are those to me are the ten, ten greatest who are all retired. As I say, no, no disrespect to to Elijah no disrespect to Isaiah Thomas or John Stockton, or Carl Malone, or anybody else you may think of, or Patrick Ewing, and all that kind of stuff. So those are the ones that I like. Well, I I can't add anything to that. That was great. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right, Danny. Thanks again to Jim Barnett for taking the time. Absolute thrill to have him on. You can listen to him be the color analyst for CSN Bay Area on every Warriors game. And you can also follow him on Twitter at UOGRAD66, U-O-G-R-A-D-66. And it's just amazing for, for me. I feel so lucky to be able to even periodically have Mr. Barnett as a resource because he's just such a wealth of knowledge about the league in a direct way, not in a, you know, in a scholarly way, in a way that he lived it. And so when we're talking about Bill Russell, Bill Russell was his coach, his player coach, and Red Auerbach drafted him, he played against Wilt, and he's been around the league ever since. And it's just incredible for me. And I want to tell a quick story that when I got into Cleveland for game three, it was a little bit different there because the seating assignments were a little bit looser. They had assignments, but people weren't necessarily following them as rigidly as it seemed like they were in Oakland. And it just so happened that Jim Barnett decided to sit next to me and we'd known each other a little bit. You know, he's obviously busy during the games, which is normally when I'm interacting with media during the seven years that I've covered them, which is dwarfed by his 27. But we'd had a few conversations and what ended up happening through serendipity in a lot of ways is that we sat next to each other for all three games in Cleveland. That was games three, four, and six. And 
it was an absolutely unbelievable experience for me to be able to have that give and take with somebody who knows so much about the game and have a lot of fun with each other. And of course, as it turned out, to be sitting near somebody who had such a connection with the franchise when they ended up winning their first championships in 75 was really incredible. And I've been lucky enough to experience some amazing things in this time covering basketball. And that three nights is very, very, very high up in that in that conversation. So I'm thankful for it all the time. It was such an amazing experience. And who knows, maybe it'll happen again. Jim is incredible. Hopefully you enjoyed the podcast. I absolutely love doing this one. I love doing all of them, but this one in particular was was a blast. We've been talking about it for a little while, and to actually get it done is, is such a thrill for me. If you like the podcast, uh, you can subscribe to it on iTunes. Please do, and ideally download every episode. If you want to write a review, I really do appreciate it. Hopefully it's positive. So far, the ones that we have are positive, because that just helps us one of the nuances of, of iTunes is that it's kind of a black box in terms of ratings, but we know that downloads and reviews are important parts of that. So both this podcast and the Dunked On Basketball podcast that I'm frequently a part of, we strongly encourage people who enjoy it to do that because the higher you are on something like that, the more people will have access to it and the more people can listen. And if you like something, share it also with your friends. Tell them about it, you know, Facebook, Twitter, in person, whatever you want to do. And that's really how you spread the word on it. I, I love doing this. I mean, it's been an incredible run and it will continue to be because it's amazing to be able to just ask people like Jim and Lee Jenkins and everybody everybody else that I asked to have a conversation about basketball. And overwhelmingly, they say yes, if we can just figure out the timing. So that's a thrill. You can send any feedback to me on Twitter at Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. Or you can email me at Danny LaRue NBA at gmail.com. That is my email for things like this. So I'm, I'm happy to, to read it. I, as I say, I read everything. I do not respond to everything because I get a lot of stuff, which I appreciate, but I, I don't always have the time. I, I do my best. I'm getting pretty good now, especially on, on emails. Cause if you take that time, I'll, I'll take the time to respond. And it's been a great run. I'm super excited about the trade deadline coming up. I not only through my own work, I have a lot of stuff for the sporting news some stuff for real GM and of course, Warriors world, but just the way that the league is going in general. And so I have my own thoughts and expectations and predictions, but we'll see. And I'm completely fine being wrong. I'm always excited because the more you think, you know, about this, sometimes teams will zig when you think they're going to zag. And I definitely expect that a week from today, I'm actually recording this almost exactly a week from the trade deadline, which is pretty cool. So Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like... 
Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your moves. Make your 4th of July sparkle with a little help from your friendly neighborhood Randalls. You'll find great deals on grilling favorites and more. Everything you need to make any summer gathering festive. For a delicious cookout, shop with your Remarkable card and pick up 80% lean ground beef in the value pack for just $1.99 a pound. Limit four packages. And get a sweet deal on fresh strawberries, blueberries, or raspberries, two for $3. Tastier meats, sweeter produce, better celebrations. Randalls, proudly serving Texas families since 1966.